Hey, everyone. You found the Don't Suck at AI podcast, where you'll hear from AI industry icons about how their companies are producing successful AI solutions that are changing the way we do business today and into the future. So here's your host, John Lindsay. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the Don't Suck at AI podcast. Today, we have a molecular show lined up for you as we're welcoming Jeff Moeller, the CEO of IQ Genetics. Jeff and I go way back, so I know him well. In addition to being a dear friend, I know he's one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet. He's got over three decades of genetics and genetics technology experience, which explains why that nice blonde hair that you don't see because we don't use video, thank goodness, is a little bit grayer these days. Since Jeff and I go way back to our early days in the genetics industry, I can give you a little background on him pretty easily. So Jeff grew up in Maryland. He went to Frostburg State, where he was actually a roommate of one of my best friends. He went on to work with several pioneering genetic firms, including Encore Med and Third Wave Technologies, before becoming an entrepreneur and founding companies like Empower Genetics. He has impeccable timing that actually might come up in our Don't Suck Fun Fact, as actually this podcast was scheduled for August and it's now October, you may have noticed. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. I gave our listeners a quick overview of your background. What did I leave out, my friend? Oh, hey, John. Hey, Bill. I thought that was pretty good. You hit the highlights. <laughs> you know, let's see. What did you leave out? You left out Encore. You left ah, out okay. the National Cancer Institute. I did a little research there because the reason why I got into private industry like Encore and Encore Med was because... Every morning when I would walk into the lab and, and open the incubators or whatever experiment I had brewing, it pretty much 100% failed. So for uh, about two years of failed experiments, I, I realized I wasn't cut out for the research mentality. So I had to do something and pivot quickly into industries. But still, that was a good experience. Encore was the precursor to Encore Med because of a mentor of mine. And I like to mention his name, uh, Steve Turner. He's, he's what I think a lot of people call the godfather or one of the original entrepreneurs in the biotech space. And he was a mentor of mine for like nine years from two companies. The other thing you didn't mention, which is kind of a cool thing, is that Third Wave Technologies was acquired by a, a large women's healthcare company, multi-billion dollar company called Hologic. And that was my only big company, non-entrepreneurial experience. And, and that was interesting. And soon after that, I just jumped in the entrepreneur world. That's what you kind of left out. Well, good stuff. We appreciate you being here. So here's one of the things we like to do on every episode, Mr. Moeller. We like to have a little don't suck fun fact. And so I've got one for you. And I always let the guests tell us whether it's true or false. So so walk me through this. In the old days, Jeff wasn't necessarily known for being punctual to really anything. Dinners, meetings, the gym, you name it. So you guys kind of get the picture here. One weekend, Jeff's girlfriend, who at the time was his girlfriend, who was now his wife, was moving into a new apartment and several of us assembled to help her move. Jeff, however, who was supposed to have been part of the moving team and supposed to have brought the food, did not show up. And you know where this is going, gang, right? Yeah. Not only was he late, he didn't show up for not only the move, but you guessed it, he did not even bring the food. Jeff, true yeah. story? Yeah, oh, that's a true story. And sometimes I don't even have the money to buy the food. Nothing's really changed because I, I'm still a little less than punctual. I had someone tell me actually within the past six months, um, he said, Jeff, I don't think time is your friend. 
<laughs> well, I think that's a phenomenal way of putting it. I'm not it. friends. <laughs> I think that's a phenomenal way of putting it. Well, look, you're here now, and it doesn't matter that we asked you in August and it's October. It's all good. We're not holding it against you. So let's dig into some AI. Since you're on the Don't Suck at AI podcast, we've seen some suck before in the biotech and healthcare space where there's been famous failures like Watson's use in oncology. And really in today's COVID crisis, one of the latest reports referenced from MIT's technology review coming out of the British Medical Journal stating that there were some 230 algorithms for diagnosing patients or predicting how sick those patients were. And they found none of them to be fit for clinical use. In fact, only two were singled out as being promising enough for future testing. Now, that absolutely does suck. So Jeff, in this industry, talk to us a little bit about why we're missing the mark with AI. Timing is really good right now, at least in our field in genetics, because there's so many tools and resources that are at our fingertips if you just pull it together. And an AI, in my opinion, can be extremely useful in the upfront part of at least the biotech world, genetics world, whether you're identifying, you're predicting, and, and I'll get into the case you just mentioned. And then on the back end, the interpretation, the analysis, it kind of like pulls everything together. I think what's happening is I don't think they fully understand AI and actually how to use it. And there might be a fear of that it's expensive. Where do I start? They know it could be helpful. I do think that people are in a pattern of they don't want to change. And I see that in medicine all the time with genetics. I mean, genetics and AI are kind of analogous in some ways because healthcare is very conservative, traditional, and it takes a lot to get them to make change and adopt new technologies. It has to be there for a long, long time for them to actually adopt it. And I think AI is the same. The companies that do adopt AI are the contract research organizations, the groups that run clinical trials, the large pharma companies. They kind of dabble into it and, and they don't create it. They go out and buy companies or they merge with companies to do these things. And with genomics and AI combined, you'll start to see them see the power of what AI can do. And I think they're just not seeing a lot of successes yet. And if there are, they're not really well known. In terms of what you, the example you mentioned, the two examples, Watson might be a failure in some respects, but in others, it's kind of set a paradigm or an example of where we could go and what we could do. So if you have something like an IBM Watson, AI-driven, that can basically look at every research, every trial, everything out there and help a doctor make a decision. I mean, that eventually will happen someday just like someone's genetic blueprint will be used to diagnose and treat everything. And we'll all have that. And it'll be used for, for everything you could think of. So I'm sure that the Watson will come back in different formats and maybe different segments of medicine. And again, it goes back to, I think, really medical community is very conservative. They don't want to be replaced. They just want tools to help them. That's where you miss the mark too, because no one wants AI, at least from my perspective, you see it as someone that could replace, can do everything if it's trained, and you might be irrelevant. So I think people kind of dabble into it as well. They just don't want to jump into it and lose a job or an industry just kind of become obsolete. So <laughs> and on, the, on the clinical trial side, it's, uh, it's really, really big. I think that from everything that I understand and some of the people that I know in the industry is huge because clinical trials, I mean, I don't, won't be redundant. And it's pretty obvious. It takes a long time to get a drug to be an official treatment and FDA approved. It can take 14 years, seven years, and it's expensive. And part of the problem is, number one, finding the actual drug candidates, things that might actually work. 
And that means like it's a very laborious kind of a thing where trial and error, but with AI, it can help pinpoint certain potential markers or things that could be uh, developed as a treatment. And then on the patient recruitment, which is even harder, because if you want a drug to work, if you're spending billions of dollars, you want the perfect patient where it will work. So there's a lot of recruitment. It's a very manual process of interviewing people where they're located. Ideally, you just would like to test it on a general population because that's the real world. But you can't do it that way because you want the drug to work. You want to see what, how it works in the best case scenario. And AI is perfect for that. It can sort through something that could take six months to a year. AI can do in probably an hour. So I think, I mean, we're missing the mark in that there's a lot of unknowns and, and it just takes time for people to, to use it and make the best of it and, and actually see some work. Thank you, Jeff, for, uh, for that perspective and, and enlightening us regarding what you're seeing there. Let's talk about what's currently going on and namely the pandemic, which maybe some people consider to be a speed bump, a big test for AI and healthcare. And, and this dovetails into uh, what you're up to today at IQ Genetics and beyond. Uh, you, you're running a lab in Northern Virginia, leveraging genetic testing to help healthcare professionals make more informed treatment decisions based on these higher quality molecular tests. So let's talk a bit about what differentiates IQ from a more traditional lab. Thanks for that question, Bill. So IQ Genetics, I guess the name IQ we came up with because uh, IQ is kind of equated to intelligence. Genetics is, of course, we're a genetics lab. You know, initially, our lab focuses on bread and butter tests, things that, that insurance pays for that's well known. You, you do a test and you, you treat them based on that information. Insurance pays for it. It's relatively straightforward. So we, we're looking at a lot of infectious diseases where you need something right away to treat it. And so that's our big focus now. And of course, COVID, <laughs> I refused to be a COVID lab last year because I just thought it was just kind of a, hopefully I was hoping it'd be a quick wave and we'd be over it. But, you know, I was kind of a little bit wrong and was talked into doing COVID. It's been great for us as a company because it's almost like getting additional capital uh, to do the things that we really want to do as a company, IQ Genetics. And that is really look at genetics as a bigger picture. John and we talked about this years ago. I've always had this vision. I mean, I'm not I'm sure it's not unique. In the genetics world, there's just so much information that's just so disjointed and siloed. And I like for IQ Genetics to be that company to actually pull some of that stuff together, create services and products and sell that to the to clinicians, to consumers, hospitals, you know, wherever it fits. And so, so right now we're doing the bread and butter next year. Hopefully we'll, we'll jump into, and you'll like to hear this, using some AI, bringing that in. So it fits in with the IQ name, um, intelligent genetics, right? You use tools that are available to help us identify patients, people that could benefit from certain genetic tests. And that's where we want to go. You want to do it slow because as you know, Doctors are conservative. The healthcare community is conservative. Insurance companies only pay for what's really relevant and what they see benefit for. I mean, there's good reason for that. But at the same time, you know, it's up to industry to come up with these things and take a risk and prove how valuable it is. So we like to bring in some AI or some sort of algorithms to help identify patients, clinical situations where a genetic tests will be appropriate and offer that. 
and then kind of really, really branch out. I like to think of omics. Tell our listeners, because I'm not sure that they're going to know, because you know most of us don't, if you're not in this space, omics, explain. Please yeah. give us a, some background. So the air, omics is really just a study of all of the different areas of the cell or the, or the body, if you will. Genomics is, the, is our DNA. It's the entire blueprint of our DNA. So we look at that as genomics, genetics. We have proteomics, which is a whole map of our proteins. Transcriptomics, which is RNA, right? We know a lot about RNA now because of the vaccines that are developed for COVID. And then we have something called epigenomics, which is really the, the genomics that center around the changes in our DNA based on environmental things that we are exposed to, carcinogenic, sun, things we eat, just everyday things. And then there's something called metabolomics, which is really the metabolites, all of the chemical reactions that occur in your body. So each of those omics can tell a story about your health. The problem with only looking at DNA, which is so powerful, it tells you all the changes that you've inherited. And there are about 20,000 of them that are, that are important right now that we know of. So we can look at those and say, oh, this is your problem right now. But sometimes you can have a problem in your DNA that might not actually tell us anything about if it will change something in your body. So you can have a change in your DNA, but if you don't know what the RNA is doing, which is the, the messenger part of it, which takes the message from the DNA and moves it to the protein, which is your proteomics, that tells your cells what to do or how, what not to do. So that it's a big picture. So, so you need to know all of it to really get a, a good picture of your body and how to diagnose something, how to treat something, and how to prevent something or manage disease. So all of it kind of ties together. And it's, it's really expensive to do. And right now we're just still getting people to understand just basic genetics, just the, the breast cancer genes, which has been around for a long, long, long time. And still there are a lot of people that haven't been tested and are being managed with that information. But I think if, if a company can use AI and then pull together the right omics in a really simple way that can be understandable and useful, then I think you, you really can get a great picture of a person's health and how to treat them and, and manage their disease or potential disease. And then you turn into a very preventative model versus reactive model of medicine. I mean, can you imagine, think about this, if you don't go to the doctor, you really don't need to go to the doctor as much anymore. You're just, you know, everything that you have, everything you might get, what will cause a reaction, not cause a reaction. And you just manage your life that way. You know, what to eat, what not to eat, how to exercise, how much sleeping. These are basic things maybe a few medicines that might keep you from generating certain things. So you really don't need to go to the doctor very much. It's a very preventative way to look at things. But it's all about diet, early detection and using all the things that are out there. And this stuff is out there now. We could use it, but it's just all over the place. And it's a big vision, but I think that's where it'll go in the long term. I'd love for IQ Genetics to be have some sliver of that, that, that market. You've talked about some ideas you have here about the future, but you know, look out even further. We see AI being a huge driver, coupled with biotech, genomics, pharma. People don't believe we didn't exactly pass the test through the pandemic. So how does AI impact what IQ is doing in the future and what's AI's role next year, but even beyond? You could look five or 10 years out. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> To predict, because I think about it every day. Actually, what I just went described the omics world. It sounds simple enough, maybe, maybe not. But there's a lot, a lot of information there with each of those. The genome itself, for example, 
3 billion bases. It took us about 13 years to map, billions of dollars. Now we were able to cut it down to a couple of weeks on between $500,000. But there's still 3 billion things that we're looking at and trying to interpret. Times two, 6 billion, because you have genes from your mom and from your dad. So, so AI is critical in, in kind of managing that information and interpreting it and pulling it together in a, in a simple to understand format. So we're just starting to use that now with interpretation and analytics and things like that. I just see that as the future. I mean, this is not novel to me. The genetics, all the data that we generate through you know, our tests and the instruments and the technologies that are out there, that's, that'll be the easy part. It is becoming the easy part. You get the equipment, you run the test. The hard part is all of the interpretation and analysis and in a believable format that's useful that you can, a doctor or anyone can make a decision on. That's where AI is really going to be powerful. In some ways, it's almost way out in the future. You, won't, I, you probably won't even use the word AI. It'll just be there and be used every day because it's just part of what you do. And I mean, that's just where I, I think that that's the key. So you'll have all the data and you'll just use AI to manipulate it and query data and find out what's wrong. Because you'll go to the doctor or hospitals or anyone will have their, all of this omic information someday. It's definitely going to happen. Definitely not one year from now, but it'll take a while because we have to understand all of it. But once you have all of that, it's just going to be you know, a doctor or um, a patient, or if you do it on your phone or whatever tool we have at that point, and you go in and you look at what you have, what you don't have, or what you should do and not do, or what you should eat and not eat, what pills you should take or not take, or all of those types of things. But AI will be doing that. Or like you take an example, like I'm thinking about going out to dinner to a certain type of restaurant or cuisine, will I have a reaction? Will I gain weight from that? Will I feel bad, worse or better? Will I have indigest? All those things, you could go on your phone, know what your genome is or know what your omics profile is and say, oh, maybe I shouldn't eat that or maybe I shouldn't do that. And you know it ahead of time instead of afterwards and you take a pill or you do something and you're miserable or whatever happens, you gain a few pounds, all of those things, you don't feel good. And that's just a, probably a, a really rough example of where I think AI will ultimately be just kind of embedded in everything we do. I could see my grandkids having a lifespan of 200 years now. Yeah, that, <laughs> well, you know, I could see definitely where our lifespans could increase about 20 years because if you understand all this stuff up front. And now with the other stuff that's going on, the other technologies, CRISPR, that's on the back end of treatment. I mean, it's now being used a little bit for detection. It's very powerful. But on the treatment side of things, you, you identify all of these problems that we have. We don't, I mean, I'm not saying we have a lot of problems, but as you get older, you, know, you start to accumulate things that might need a little repair and you use CRISPR to fix that. So if you're eliminating most of the diseases, chronic diseases and cancers, and you're managing all of these things that eventually lead to death, you might extend your life about 20 years. Then you have other problems. You know, I mean, I don't know what the other problems could be, like you run out of money or... <laughs> or <laughs> well, Jeff, this has been absolutely epic. First of all, it's clear that IQ Genetics intends to push the boundaries of successful AI and data analytics. And that absolutely doesn't suck. On the omics side, the fact that we could be leveraging that AI to move from reactive care to preventative care, that is absolutely epic and does not suck. And then the fact that that some of this AI could potentially help us live to 200 years old, 
Uh, that wait a second, Bill. That actually sucks. I think <laughs> that actually does suck. <laughs> so hang on. <laughs> but Jeff, listeners, first of all, this is a fabulous show, man. I, this has been outside of our boundaries, and it is really, really intriguing. This is stuff that's going to impact all of us. So our listeners are going to want to know how they can follow you and keep up with all this this technology and the genetic space that's going on. Share with our audience, if you will. Where can they follow what you've got going on and what you're up to? Right now, um, we have a website, iqgenetics.com. I mean, that's the simple way to do it. I think next year, 2022, will be a big year for us. I mean, COVID has really, really changed the paradigm for how we deliver this kind of information. And I think it would be a springboard in terms of all this knowing your genome and things like that and what you're susceptible, what, what, what you're predisposed to and things like that. So listen. We want to say thank you, first of all, to the, the Don't Suck family of listeners that join us every week. They hear our podcast. Thank you so much to you guys for, for tuning in, and, and hopefully you're enjoying the content and the shows we put out. Thanks to Jeff for joining us today and bringing us up to speed on where AI is impacting the genetic space and, and looking at that crystal ball and telling us where it's going to. Bill, before we wrap up, what would you add to this? No, I just say it's uh, really delightful. And and uh, Jeff, we wish you the best of success. Thank you. Uh, the future that you're describing sounds really exciting. So uh, go for it, man. Thank you. Look, from North Carolina, are you in North Carolina now? Yes, I'm in Charlotte. From okay. North Carolina, from Houston and Austin, Texas, we're going to sign off. And that's a wrap, baby. 